Welcome to the Jess Larson Show, where I interview innovators and leaders. Today on the show, we've got Jay Snyder. Jay, thanks for doing this. Absolutely. Thanks. So, Jay, tell us about what you do at Royal Caribbean. Yeah, sure. I'm the Chief Product Innovation Officer, which sounds like a really cool, fun title, but the reality is I, I, I lead kind of three groups. One, I lead our digital transformation, so our group of technologists and folks who ideate the future of our guest and career experience with technology. The second is I lead our private destination portfolio, which is the groups of islands and, and beach clubs and, and private land-based development that we do. And then the third piece is our physical transformation of our ships from a concepting. So think new venues, new experiences, new things that people will do on one of our ships. So digital transformation and physical transformation for the Royal Caribbean International brand. That's exciting. By the way, how big is Royal Caribbean, like staff count wise? Well, we hired 10,000 people in the last couple, in the last month, I think. So when you look at it, when you look at all of our ships fleet wide, we're are, are roughly 70 to 80,000 employees worldwide. And that is the vast majority of them are on our, our ships around the world. Yeah. Well, I want to talk about Royal Caribbean, about the new boat, about all sorts of things. But let's back up for a little bit. Can you tell us a little bit about your, your time at Disney? Sure. Yeah, I joined Disney in 07, really to focus on e-commerce, e-commerce at the Walt Disney World property, and then grew into a vice president role focused on digital guest experience and the transformation of that experience. So mobile apps, websites for their travel vertical at the time, they've since reorganized, but you're thinking parks, resorts, cruises, and really focused on where the guest is. So the original My Disney Experience app came from my team. That was everything about how you how you digitize fast pass at the time, how you to unlock your future magic band, which came from another innovation team within the So really focused on kind of where the guest met technology in the park and pre-planning their park visit as well. Yeah. You know, we've had a few different Disney execs on the show over the years. And I'm, I'm interested in your take. What do you feel like is special about Disney? I think everyone has a different opinion, but, but what's your opinion? Yeah, you know, it's funny. And I, I'll give you that through a lens of working here now. And I, I think we have, you know, I think our Royal brand, for example, is the best family vacation you can take. So I, there are moments that Disney owns. I've got a, a five-year-old and a nine-year-old. When I worked there, I, I had a zero, you know, zero to one-year-old essentially. And it, there's this moment that you have that are life moments that you'll never get back that frankly we don't compete with. And I'd encourage other companies not to compete with either. That moment that your kid sees Mickey Mouse for the first time, right? Or walks around the corner and sees, you know, Donald Duck waddling down the street. Those are moments that yes, are IP centric, but they really have done a, an amazing job in their history curating those moments. And so to me, that's one of the things I think is one of their superpowers, how they leverage their IP, how they bring that IP to every nook and cranny of their business, whether it's their media division, whether it's their park division, whether it's their cruise ships. They've done such an amazing job of, of, of really making those moments magical. Yeah, that's an interesting insight. It is such a good point that it's not just having the IP, it's what are you doing with it, right? That's spot on. How you how you use it, how you make sure you connect your guests to it. And, you know, I, I would say that I was a, a Disney fan going into working there. Not a fanatic, but a fan in general, as everybody goes through the cycle as you grow up. But really having kids, for me, unlocked unlocked that moment. Yeah. When you think about your time there, what's one of the biggest lessons that you've brought with you to Royal Caribbean? The ability to fail, fail forward and fail forward fast. It's, you know, I, I'm a huge believer of this notion of test, iterate, adjust, and just repetitively doing it. It's something that we do 
on an ongoing basis, whether it's big test iterate, meaning product that we may or may not work or will work and we have to continue to adjust, or it's small software-driven changes that you want to make for your guests and customers. And that's one of the things that I was really proud of the work that we did at Disney on, on whether it was multivariate testing the website to learning what worked and didn't work and an operations team willing to continue to move forward as opposed to calling something not successful and moving backwards. So, yeah. So what does that look like at Royal Caribbean? Yeah, it's a lot of things. So, you know, we talk a lot about what I call micro fails and macro fails. So you want to create an environment where you're failing in the right way, if that makes sense. Not being prepared is not failing the right way, but testing and iterating is a good example of where you can fail successfully. So we're implementing new elevator technology. As weird as that sounds, since the elevator has been around since, you know, the late 1800, late 18, whatever, it's been around for hundreds of years. And the reality is, as we implement new technology like that, on a cruise ship with 6,500 plus guests, we don't want to learn in production with you. So that's something where we actually wrapped up a, a wide scale test of some new elevator technology. We took over a section of the ship. We built out literally a replica of the future elevator bank. And, and grabbed volunteers, ran them through scenarios and learned what worked and didn't work. That allowed us to take back the learnings. And there were some really interesting learnings out of it. One of which is our average guest doesn't use an elevator on, on a you know, daily basis as part of their normal life. But take away those learnings and then pop up another test and continue to iterate until we're actually in production on a ship. And so that's an example of a, a large scale and a small scale we're debating the color of a pool the other day. And so we built a pop-up pool in our in our parking lot here, painted it the different colors and filled it with water to understand what it looked like in Caribbean sun. That's another example of a product test that, that we're doing on a constant basis. And some of it's just real life testing. So it is trying things on board ships, learning what guests love, adapting and adjusting. And from a software standpoint, it's the same thing. It's, it's trying things that we think are gonna work and adjusting along the way. We introduced a technology at one point called Bring Me. And the notion was I could sit in my pool deck chair, you know, pull out my phone, tap a pizza and somebody would bring me a pizza because we'd you know, triangulate your position based on a number of beacons around the, the open deck and deliver it to you. At the same time, one of the core parts of the DNA of the Royal brand is trying to get you know, complimentary food closer to the pool deck. It's something we've heard from guests for years. They want easy access to food so they can stay in their pool deck chair, have a margarita, enjoy their vacation. We were testing the physical digital side of both of that and the notion of giving you digital delivery with a fee to get a pizza from somewhere versus grabbing some great Mexican that's literally sitting five feet away from you. It turns out the free Mexican you know, beat the digital delivery of a pizza with a, a delivery fee attached. And so that's an example of, we were okay that we were okay that the, the tech side lost to the physical side because it was important to make sure that guests got exactly what they wanted. You know, I'm, I'm interested in an aspect of this. You know, this idea of innovation, people want to try, but a lot of folks don't do as well on the measurement on the other side, you know, like, if, if the experiment is to see what happens, like you're always going to see what happens. But it sometimes feels like people aren't as maybe disciplined on like making a guess up front and then measuring against that guess later. When, when, you, think about, when you think about this idea of, of quantifying your bets and, and how you're going to measure and, and what those next steps are after measurement, what does that look like for you? Yeah, so I would say that 
the vast majority of our experiments have, they, they go through a cycle of desirability, viability, feasibility, but really through a metric driven way. So there are some things that we probably don't have a hypothesis. Well, we always have, everybody, I kind of maybe disagree. Everybody has a hypothesis, whether they're willing to share it or not, maybe a different question. <laughs> yeah, that's what I mean. Are they willing to share it before the experiment yeah. instead of only retroactively? So I would say 100% of the time we have a hypothesis that we're willing to share ahead of time. The question though then really is, do you, do you have the data and analytics to support studying that hypothesis or not? Back to my elevator example. The way we tested it, I had a hypothesis that 100% of people were going to fail. And the reality is that number was actually closer to, I think it was like 30 to 40% of guests literally failed outright in our elevator test. And so that was better. The problem is on the flip side of that, the classic elevator works nearly 100% of the time. And so trying to pit sort of experiments off against each other, or in the case of my bring me example, we knew that we knew we were testing two competing things and we were trying to understand the sensitivity of what a take rate would be for a pay for experience versus a take rate for a free experience that required a little bit of work on your part. And so we did study that. We had a hypothesis, we had metrics in place. I don't think enough people, it, you're right, they don't share their hypothesis. Number two, they don't put real bets of analytics against it to say, let's study it, let's understand what it is. And that is something that we do, I would argue, a really great job at. We had another example, the pandemic forced us to think about our ships in different ways. So we went through trying to understand contact tracing technology. We have wearables throughout, we had wearables prior to the pandemic throughout some of our vessels, which were very passive RFID. I can go up and unlock a door because I've got an RFID chip to RFID door and things like that, right? We didn't really have contact tracing tech available and our public health infrastructure was more investigative. If you had, a, if you were not feeling well, you went through a public health questionnaire, our, our medical team on board assessed you. We didn't really have contact tracing technology at scale. And our chairman and CEO at the time challenged us to figure out how we could get and stand up contact tracing technology in a very short period of time. And it's a ship is a very unique environment. And we had been had the forethought, not because we saw a pandemic coming, but we had been studying BLE technology. So RFID, BLE, UHF signals on ships for about two years prior to the pandemic and had a really good understanding of if we had to deploy other types of, of signal tech into a vessel, how to control it. Meaning you get BLE run as we call it. So BLE run is where you have a BLE signal, but it bounces down throughout a ship because a ship is a long steel corridor. And so you've, you can get a signal to bounce much further than you can in a normal building, for, for example. You also have the issue of a ship is a steel steel box. And I don't mean that in a negative way. I'm just, it's, it's a bunch of steel pieces. And so you've got plates of steel that cause signal inter interference everywhere, whether it's a Wi-Fi signal off an access point or again, a BLE signal. And so there's an example of, we knew we could get the tech working ahead of the challenge to figure out how to get it on the ship. What we didn't know is we had to study the level of accuracy that we needed versus what we wanted. In the case of a pandemic, you want accuracy. And so there's an example of where the high, it's not that we didn't know the goal that we were trying to achieve, but we knew we had to work our way to that goal to make sure that we, and so we set a high threshold for what success looked like and literally worked toward it and had a hypothesis for how to do it, but only knew success would be if we achieved trying to get to a reliability and 98.5% was the reliability that we hit. Oh, yeah, that's cool. Tell me the acronym, BLE. What does that stand for? The Bluetooth Low Energy. The, just the oh, BLE. Okay. Yeah. Is there a Bluetooth High Energy? 
No, not really. <laughs> oh, okay. So when you think about the challenge a lot of folks have, of uh, the innovation team attracts folks who are excited to try something new and kind of get that high out of the fun and excitement. Yeah. And then you've got a number of other folks in the organization that enjoy consistency or have maybe some more of the, if it's not broke, why do we have to fix it kind of feelings. Yes. When you think about this quest to make the ultimate family vacation, knowing that some of that resistance might come from inside your own organization, what kind of things do you guys do on the team to try to make these new experiments more welcomed by, by your colleagues? Sure. Yeah, it's, it's a great question. So I'll give you a couple different answers. And one of it is, is a little bit an advice that I give people. So you've got to hire people that want to run into wall. And to do that, you've got to inspire them with reasons to believe. And so when I first came to the company, we created our team DNA. And in it, there's really kind of three fundamental principles. One is you, if you want to go do this, you've got to be unreasonably aspirational. You've got to really want to think with, with kind of no limits, right? Number two is it, we're all, we're doing this in the service of value and value is really, you have to build empathy for your guest, your crew member, your customer, however you define it. And so for us or for me, you've got to really have empathy for the experience that they go through because it helps them with a the conversation of somebody who is used to operating the same way for 50 years. They have their own empathy through a different lens. And some of that empathy is how they've always done work, the pains they've seen, the history they've had that I didn't experience with them when something did fail and it was technology's fault or a physical change's fault or whatever. And then the third part of the DNA is, is really this notion of you've got to be comfortable to challenge everything. You've got to do it respectfully and maybe you'll end up in the same spot you're at, but you've got to really be comfortable to challenge everything. And so we try to hire people that fit that mold. Are they willing to be unreasonably aspirational? Are they willing to just maniacally put the, the customer at the center of kind of their thought process? And are they willing at, you know, no matter what the issue is, really to challenge everything? And that that was a big unlock. And, and the second part of that is you do, you have to be able to, like, you've got to respect and listen to the decades, in some cases, of experience people have. But to be unreasonably aspirational means you come with a set of ideas that think differently about how everything is done. And so for me, that is kind of part of the the finding innovative talent. And then the second part of it really is some of the unlocks that you can do. So for example, we built a change management program. The change management program made us smarter about the change that we were proposing. So whether that was understanding the impact when we want to digitize a role or a capability or something, making sure that our communication and our, our process of inclusion of people was, was well thought out. And so we built out a change management practice to, to really kind of bolster the team as we went as we went through that journey. And I think that's another kind of important piece. And then the last piece is you can't do it by yourself. Like I, I don't believe innovation happens by me alone or my team alone. It really happens across an organization. But where we can help is putting practices in place to unlock that innovation. And so one of the things we created when I was at Disney was called Beer and Pitch. And the idea, and I brought that here to Royal. We paused it when the pandemic kind of picked up and, and we'll bring it back. But this notion of anybody should be able to pitch an idea, no matter who you are within a company, really anybody should be able to, to pitch a company, pitch an idea. The benefit I get is I get to drink a beer while you're pitching the idea, hence the name beer. <laughs> this idea that you really want to curate at innovation. And curating innovation means getting people who know the right questions to ask, how to do it, to teach others to unlock their potential to pitch an idea. And so 
something like beer and pitch is really meant to do twofold. One, somebody in accounts payable, you know, an analyst in accounts payable may have an idea. They don't have typically in a company the forum, the process to share that idea. So it created a form and process. And the second thing is they may not have the means to do it. They may not know the right way to pitch a senior executive or to pitch a group of innovators or to pitch, you know, change folks. And so teaching them the method to go through makes a huge difference. So give them the forum and then teach them how to do it so that they get comfortable sharing an idea. And that, that as I've done that in my career and, and seen that come to life, is really fun and is a huge unlock. It encourages people to be throughout an organization to be innovating their own because you get people who are really uncomfortable speaking in front of people who you you kind of take through a practice to go do it. You get people who have an idea but don't have the forum to do it. And again, it really encourages them then to be unreasonably aspirational as well. And so that's just another example of, of how you can kind of unlock change as you think of kind of classically structured organizations. No, that's a great explanation. You know, I think most people listening will guess that cruise ships are not cheap. But I think there's a lot of us that don't really have a sense of just how expensive it is. With what you can share, can you give us a sense of like when you come out with a new product, like how much is a cruise ship? Like what's the range of what a cruise ship costs? Like these big, amazing new ones. Yeah, I mean, they're really – so you've got cruise ships that are 50 to 100 person ships like in our celebrity brand, Flora, right? It's a, I think it's a 50 person, 50 person crew, total 100 people, right? You then have, we have this, we like to say we have the smallest ships in the world and the largest ships in the world. So Wonder of the Seas is the largest ship in the world. It's in our Royal brand. And, you know, you're talking 6,500 guests and 22 to 2,400 crew. And so the scale of cost of that is very different. As you sure, can. sure. How about so, the big ones? What's what's a price range on the biggest one vaguely or, you know, whatever you can say. So typically a larger ship in the world is probably in the 1.8 kind of call it one, one five to $2 billion range. If I were to give you a range. Yeah. Yeah. It's typically where you'd find the largest ships in the world. We yeah. don't see boats. Ships carry boats. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> Thanks. So I'm interested for you, you know, thinking about this position, innovation is a fun place for a lot of folks. And yet there's so many folks who in their careers are, are not a chief product innovation officer that would like to be. What do you think that you've done differently to, to reach the level you've had in your career? So number one is I hire curious people. So I'm naturally curious. I, I love to think about, and, and I started largely with technology innovation and technology change in my career. So being able to work on physical change, especially in something that it's less about the cost of a new ship. It's more of the timeline. So we're working on, you know, a new class of ship that may not see light of day till 2029. And so if you think of the application of technology or what the customer likes, imagine that problem. What is your customer going to want in 2029? And it, it goes back. It's not just a, it is about being curious, but then it's also really trying to future cast where your customer is going. And so our case, we spent a lot of time researching what guests want, what they'll want in the future, where they'll be in the future, partnering with our consumer insight team to really unpack the types of things that our evolving customers going to want, how the world's going to evolve. I got to spend, when I was at Disney, there was a guy at Intel who focused, the Intel hires typically futurists to super far flung where they want to be, is it, or the humanity is going to be, and then they work backwards to understand their 
their business. And so that's something I've taken away to convince teams to really imagine where they're going to go in the future and work backwards. And so that's something that we work into our practice. And it's a question that as we go through our process, we naturally do. My team works very closely with our maritime new build team, and, our, and that's a big focus. A ship that we launch this year will sail for 30 to 40 years. And so how do you future-proof a billion-plus ship for 30 to 40 years, right? And so one of our, I think one of our superpowers as a company, we're the only cruise line that has our own internal kind of new build and product development team in the way that we've structured it. And that is because we're very maniacally focused on how our, how our product evolves, how our customer evolves. Because again, you've got a, you've got a future-proof 40 years worth of, of steel, right? And so that's just a, it's a, it's a fun, interesting challenge, but again, you got to hire curious people you have to give them framework to work in, and then you got to constantly focus on, on where your brand is going. So this is fascinating to me. I think about, it makes me think of like the Jeff Bezos, Apple thing of like, you know, what are some technology things that are never going to change? Like are our customers ever going to want more expensive shipping? We don't think so. Let's invest in Amazon Prime, right? right. And like I was telling you about our, our little commercial real estate fund, a yep. little compared to you guys at Greystoke Investments. And like, you know, we're doing these like small Airbnb action sports locations, basically. Like we're trying to really cater to like those super outdoor families. Like, you know, we're going to have to have liability waivers like going to ski hill because our jumps are the kind of things you can break a leg on. Sure. You know, like we're trying to we're trying to like get like the fanatics, even though we're not going to have the broad appeal. Right. And so there's parts of that that I can predict because I've been doing going off jumps I could break my arm on for 30 years since I was a little kid, right? And then there are other things of like, you know, I don't think 15 years ago people would have really thought about like four-year-olds on iPhones and iPads everywhere at all times. Right. And, you know, and so like, obviously we want our resorts to endure. So like, can you give me an example of this future casting? Like, what, what's an insight that maybe surprised you or what's, what's something you came up with that, that maybe isn't as average? Yeah, I don't, I'll give you a couple. I, I am, I'm not actually surprised. I'll give you something I'm not surprised first. Okay. So I'm not surprised about the pervasiveness of technology. I often get questions when I go talk to, whether it's our, our press and media or even our, our Crown Anchor Society members and loyalists about, are there people who just want to throw their phone in, a, in their glove compartment when they park their car in a ship and completely disconnect? Sure, I'm sure there are those out there, but it's scale technology's worked its way into our life because it makes what we do so much more convenient. And we're seeing that acceleration happen. And so that doesn't surprise me anymore. What surprises me is how far people will go. I saw a lady swimming, I was on Perfect Day at Coco Cay, which is our private destination in the Bahamas. And I saw a lady swimming from cabana to cabana with her phone in the air. And so we talk about people leaving their phone behind. And you've got the flip side, which are people who are taking their phone everywhere we can go swimming as they as they move through. And so, I, you know, it's funny. I, technology is something that is only going to become, if I future cast, you know, 40 years from now, technology is only going to be more and more embedded into everything we do. And so leaning into technology in ways that create the, that unlock acceleration for us is an area that we focus on a lot. We, I'm sure you, maybe you saw, we, we partnered with SpaceX and Starlink to bring their service to our ships. We're the first cruise line to do that. And part of the reason to do that is it is getting us more capacity, bandwidth, 
at a better product to unlock both our guest and crew needs at sea in a world where that's been one of our challenging issues that we have to deal with. Connectivity, how we build systems, how we create reliability is really challenging in a maritime environment. You have to deal with rain knocking out your satellite connection, like a heavy rain, right? So build a system that's completely cloud-based that allows a bad weather storm to do it. That's really hard. And so trying to imagine where that technology is taking us, connectivity, and its ability to influence the pervasiveness of technology, onboard vessels, that is, is, is a big area of focus for us. And so that's just an example of where we're future-proofing certain aspects of our business by thinking about where we need to go hoping in some cases partners show up and in other cases not. Fuel is another example. The environment's another example. Those are areas where the future fuel isn't available at scale for our vessels, but we're committed to our work towards our 2050 environmental goals. And so there's another area of our business that we're that we're trying to work toward. From a customer perspective, it's a it's a little harder, right? We can talk about future casting 10, 20 years of our customer forward and then working backwards. And one way to do that is actually look at our business is 50 years old. And so you can look back at the historical change that's happened, compare it to other industries that have gone through various disruption and change and, and look for those similarities in what we do. And the reality is we are a complex city ecosystem, right? So we, we serve food to 10,000 plus people a day in some of our vessels, right? And so think of that as 30,000 meals a day. So we're a food and beverage company, an entertainment company, a casino gaming casino company, a hotel company, a supply chain logistics company, a maritime company, all on one vessel, right? And so if you think of the evolution a city goes through, we pay a lot of attention to new and emerging trends happening in cities new F&B concepts happening in cities, the evolution of entertainment in cities. And so both backward casting and future casting that comes together in, as we kind of dream and innovate where we want to go. Well, it's a fascinating subject to me. I mean, you think about, I'm, I'm interested, you know, because you think about people guessing what 2020 would look like and, you know, a movie from like the late 70s or 1980, 1982, right? What's life in, like in 2020? And it's like these minority report type of, cityscapes or it's the it's the Jetsons or right and and yet it really is something that you genuinely have to create optionality not knowing what that future will be and it, it seems like a a fun thing but also like quite a challenging thing to anticipate technologies that don't actually exist or or you know anticipate how to integrate something that is yet to be invented that's exactly right. We were the first cruise line to implement facial recognition boarding in 2018. And we did that for a couple of reasons. One, we were really trying to remove friction from our, our guest boarding process. So I've talked about this before, but we wanted to get people from car to bar in less than 10 minutes. And we learned that that was a, not learned that was a problem, but we saw that people were, you know, waiting an hour to get on board a ship. It was just taking them away from their vacation. We reinvented our muster drill, which is your safety drill at the beginning of a voyage. Because again, you you waited in line to get on a ship. You were super exhausted after doing that. You'd likely traveled to the ship in the first place, right? You got on the ship. You got your stuff in your room. You went to the bar to have a great drink. And we shut the window on you and said, nope, you got to go do your safety drill. And so we really wanted to rethink your entire first day. And, and, and biometrics and the future of biometrics, when we went through some of our early experimentation when I got here, 
is really focused on how do we do it without asking you to do something that you inherently wouldn't have to do, meaning you carry your face with you everywhere you go. So if we could just make it easy for you to board without having you to fill out paperwork, do anything else, just because we know who you are and maybe you want, I mean, of course you opted in ahead of time, that would just be an amazing way to start, you know, getting biometrics into the experience. We partnered then as a company with the Border Patrol, and we now do biometric disembarkation. So when you get off the ship, we've sped up the returning to the country, essentially, through facial recognition departure. And those are moments that were big friction points that you see kind of the evolution of that integration of, of emerging tech. You don't have widespread biometrics here in the United States. Yes, there are places in the world experimenting with biometric checkout in, in various you know types of 7-Eleven-y sort of pop-up experience. You have the Amazon Go model with their shopping experience. And those are becoming more and more pervasive. The challenge for us is those in a very experiential environment. You know, we, we, we tried biometric and basically board with your face as a way to remove friction as well as make it an experience. So we can see you, we were trying to remove the human from the equation, right? We weren't going down the Amazon Go model. We actually wanted to keep the boarding person there so they could create a greeting moment, right? Again, trying to test our way into it. So we kept somebody there and they said, hey, Jess, we... You know, we see you, we see you coming and have a great vacation so we can turn it into a moment because there's certain things we still physically have to do and we want to create moments out of it. If we were to put, and we've joked about how could we do it at a bar on a ship, since I know who you are, right? You're, you got a security photo to be on the ship, got your passport photo, you can opt into it. Could I let you pay for your, you know, with your face at a bar? And the reality is we've struggled because that's, that's really a moment where we don't want to put technology between you and the bartender, right? We don't want this to be the experience. We don't want, you know, imagine a horseshoe bar and 50 payment machines everywhere or a new line you have to go get into, right? And so we're really thoughtful about where technology intersects the experience. And, and there are areas where we can go further, that integration could go further, but we're thoughtful, purposeful about being very careful of where and how we do that, how we create those meaningful moments. Okay, that is such a great example. I love that story. You know, I'm trying to learn TikTok. So I'm like, I moved all the other social medias to different parts of my phone and only have TikTok. And I'm like, all the information I normally want to listen to on YouTube, I'm trying to see, you know, can I get Warren Buffett on TikTok? Can I, you know, these kind of things, right? And so I was listening to this guy this weekend talking about like, kind of like a surefire way to make money. And he was like, can you give a technical, technological leverage to give people their time back? Because that, that is a very high probability of being something profitable. Like if you can give people their time back at a profit where you can help more people without growing your incremental costs much, yep. for him that was like a recipe. So it's fun to hear you tell that story. I, I, I have, this, I have this theory, go ahead. No, go ahead. Well, I just have this theory that like human survival mechanism inside of us wants us to eliminate struggle because it increases survivability. And so it's kind of this idea of like, I have this like super basic theory that if you, if you have a business that in a profitable way and a cost effective way for a customer, you can take on their struggle so they don't have to, that they're very, depending on price point, they're very, it's, it's, it sounds so simple, it sounds stupid, but there are so many opportunities in life where it's like, if you just look through the part that your potential customer hates, like where's the struggle, and you take that on, whether you can solve it with technology or whether you just have staff take it on. Like that is an inherent magnetic 
situation. And this this struggle of waiting for an hour to get on, like, no wonder right. that is like, man, this is way better than any, you know, because there's those people who love cruises and have been on 100 cruises. And the first time they have that experience instead of waiting for an hour, like, that is, that's worth telling their friends about. And it was the two examples I have. So it was our, our reimagining our boarding process and then reimagining the kind of the muster drill, which, by the way, has been around since 1914 after after the Titanic. Right. So it's a it's there for a reason. Reinventing those real tentpole pain points for people, those struggles. I like your word struggle better than pain point is has been kind of one of our one of our kind of core missions we've been on. I'll give, I'll give you another example. And it is it is an area that we talk about endlessly. We we did a, a small test about let's call it about three months ago, doing something that you isn't really hard. So one of the things we observed is people wait in line at our, our guest services or equivalent of a hotel front desk, right? To swap a credit card or they put cash down and they wanted to put a credit card down or they need to change a payment or make some their credit card was expiring. They need to make change, right? And, you know, I, I can ride an Uber today. And if I put down my corporate card versus my personal card or want to make a swap, I can do it while on the ride. And and that's just, again, it's a capability that was creating a line for us. We turned that on. We didn't promote it at all. We just turned on a feature in our in our core app. And we, ex- we just watched what would happen. We didn't promote it. We didn't tell people it existed. Just, you know, we understood that we've got a highly digitized customer and we wanted to see what happened. Not because we, it was a, it was a feature that was, had been in a backlog for a team for a while and they, and they wanted to test the behavior, but they didn't want to promote it right away because test iterate. We wanted to make sure it was working before we scaled it up and started promoting it. And we calculated off of it that we gave people back 50,000 hours a year at scale for that, just that feature to let them swap their credit card or swap to a cash account with no promotion by just the utilization we instantaneously got after the first voyage and saw that sustained over, I think it was four or five voyages of people who are naturally doing that behavior that now didn't have to go to guest services that could stay in the pool deck, stay in the casino, spend more money. And and we talk about it doesn't, it's yes, we, en- we enjoy the value that it drives, but it keeps them on vacation. Keeping them on vacation drives value, satisfaction. It's more revenue for us. By them not doing something that they don't want to do in the first place, by struggling to go wait in line just to say, I need to swap my credit card, right? Because I can do that on my pool deck chair with my 13th margarita in my hand and, and have a great time. And so that, that struggle is real. It is a real struggle. We haven't called it a struggle. We really call it, you know, something else. But that struggle hits on both sides. It's not just a guest struggle. It's a crew struggle. Right before the pandemic hit, we had digitized our kid registration process. So you can go to uh, Adventure Ocean, for example, on a royal brand, and you would literally sit there with a clipboard and fill out a sheet of paper with 50 other parents sitting in a room and turn in the registration. And you'd sit there and watch somebody you know, type in your information, create a registration, give your kid a, a wristband, say, well, that's great. They're, they're now checked in. You would take 20 minutes out of your life sitting, watching this process. And the reality is we had all of your data. All we had to do is present the limited data that we had to get you to check a box on a tablet on your phone and, and your kid was registered, right? The crew member got to spend way less time having to deal with this. And on the flip side of it, the parent didn't have to sit there and frustratingly, you know, and I, I did that as a parent. I walked, like my, my wife would go down, do this, or I go down. And my other, my spouse was then sitting somewhere else in the ship having a good time. 
And so it just, it, it got rid of that struggle. You go through, there's a series of things we need to know. Do you need to catch a flight right away? Are you doing, well, you're just walking off on your own? Do you need your luggage handled? And so we've gone through different versions of different technology from paper to what we just piloted the other couple of weeks ago. And it would take our guest departure officer three to four days in a paper laden way to gather all the information for, you know, again, we have the largest ship. So you're talking about lots of paper to, to pull and coordinate and, and get the logistics right. We literally just digitized it in the app with a simple questionnaire that you could fill out and went from three to four days to 20 minutes of crew time to do the same job. And it, from a guest perspective, because we have a platform that people are using at scale, we saw instantaneous lift as yet another example of that. And again, remove the struggle and confusion and, and questions that people have. We spend a lot of time focused on how we keep people on vacation because keeping on vacation makes them happier and gets them spending money at the bar or casino or wherever else. You know, I, I like you adding that word confusion because pain, struggle, annoyance, that confusion. Confusion yeah. is right in that same category, right? Yeah. yeah, it really is. And it creates extra anxiety that you pay us a lot of money to go on vacation, putting that anxiety on you, which is meant to be your best vacation you've ever had, is why why we focus on it. We don't we don't want you thinking of confusion and pain. We want you having the best time you can. Yeah. So thinking about all this fun stuff you get to do, the hard the hard things you get to do, the <laughs> the venturing into the unknown, all these things. If you were to sum up some of your main innovation and innovation leadership principles. What would you boil them down to as like the gospel according to Jay? I, I'm not kidding. I, I know I said it before, but it's really what I believe is is my DNA, my team's DNA, our focus, right? For me, it's you've got to be unreasonably aspirational. We have, yes, I have a really cool job. The people that work with me have cool jobs. By the way, the people who operate our ships have really cool jobs as well. You know, we, we talk a lot about kind of the relationship between our crew and our guests and very careful that technology doesn't disrupt that relationship because your relationship with your stateroom attendant, with the people at dinner, frankly, people who get to know their dealers and casino, like throughout our entire experience, our crew are so critically important to that. And so we're very careful about that. They're equally as unreasonably aspirational. They put service and quality at the forefront of what we do. But I, I really do believe that notion of trying to deliver the unparalleled vacations we do by being unreasonably aspirational is number one in my list of the things that you have to want to do. It, I, can't, I can't express it enough, the relentless focus on our customer, right? Empathy for your customer. You can't really understand that word, that word struggle unless you really see and physically go through what our crew go through. I remember going in a ship and somebody said to me once, like, oh, you know, you've ever seen a crew cab and it's really small. I'm like, yeah, I stayed in one. And like you stayed in, you're a senior vice president. You don't have to stay in a crew cabin. I know, but I'm not going to have empathy for what a crew member does unless you go on a ship and stay in a crew cabin and understand how we can improve the crew experience. Same thing is unless you wait in line, I've, I've waited in line with guests and I say, hey, well, ask them what they're doing there just to understand the experience they go through. Unless you do that, you don't really have that empathy for the struggle that they're going through, the time they're spending doing it. And by the way, you can't come up with new ideas doing it in a vacuum. You've got to do it by being in the experience that we're providing. I mean, there's so many examples. We built a, what's called a stateroom attendant app. And it was it came through an observation we had. We were on board Quantum of the Sea with a team and we were just talking to the different crew about some of their challenges. And we ended up diving deep with housekeeping. 
And they kept talking about the challenges that they went through in the experience. And they'd walk the halls to see who'd show up. And I'm like, well, we've got the manifest digitally available to, okay. Somebody swaps rooms. I don't know that that happens. Well, we've got the manifest that tells us exactly where they are. Like we have the data on board the ship. We, we spend a lot of time, you know, trying to understand when their guest is not going to be in their room so we can efficiently turn down their rooms and, and create a mental priority. I'm like, well, wait a minute. We know when you get off the ship, we have to. So when you ping off the ship, we've got that data. We know when your reservations for dinner are. We know all the data that says when you're likely not to be in your room. So we create an algorithm that simply said, guest is not likely going to be in their room. Here's the sort order of how to most effectively go do them and just give that. We found that we had all of the data that they needed to do their job efficiently. We just weren't giving it to them. And so we piloted giving it to them. It turned out that once you really build empathy, and understand what they're going through, it makes it really easy to ideate with them, not for them, with them. And then again, challenge everything. So for me, that's that's just part of what it is. So that, that's the kind of advice that I typically give people because it really is kind of core to what I do. Yeah, those are great. I love that list. Listen, if people want to keep up with you, where's the best place online? LinkedIn. I haven't I haven't really engaged in TikTok, although our our royal brand president, Michael Bailey, has a big TikTok following. LinkedIn is the best way to, to keep up with me. That's great. Maybe let's close with, with one of the other you know favorite innovations you guys have come up with. Oh, God. We have a lot of innovations that the world hasn't seen. We invented an ice cream backpack so you can wander. Instead of having to make me go to get ice cream, we could bring ice cream to you. We've, we've patented the notion of eventually using face technology for your stateroom door. Again, as a way of, if you think of unique ways to unlock using technology that isn't isn't invasive. That's another example of something that we've invented and haven't put on a ship yet, but are continue to actively explore how we do it. I don't know. There's there's, a, there's so many fun, different sort of things that some that have seen light of day, like facial recognition boarding, simple app things to remove friction. I mean, Muster 2.0 for us was transformational because it really changed a hundred plus year process that was frankly a process invention, not necessarily technology, just by thinking differently of the process. So in the old model, you all huddled together. We, you know, we shut down the operation and you spent, we spent anywhere from 15 to 45 minutes explaining to you what to do in case of emergency. And the process aha we had was that, you know, we wanted to study and that there's an example back to your earlier point on a hypothesis and data. We knew we had to hit a certain threshold to sale. We knew we, we had to hit a certain kind of memory recall to feel good about us telling you the three things you need to know in emergency, which were, what does the horn sound like? Where do you go and how do you put on a life jacket? By being able to go from that mass experience to a personalized experience, boosted satisfaction, memory recall, and we kept the chip operating. What do you mean a personal experience? What did that look like? So for us, it looked like process change, right? In the old model, it was you went with 400 people to a muster station or your assembly station where in case of an emergency, you would go to board a lifeboat to get off the ship. And we operationally felt that the most effective way over the last hundred years was to do it by shutting down the ship for 45 minutes to an hour before the ship departed. And so to go from that mass moment to a personalized moment. So when you board now, we leave the entire, we leave our muster stations up and running and you can do it at your own leisure. You go up, you check it. So you have to know three things. So we, we play a horn for you when we sail away to say, Hey, you know, this is what it'll sound from a life jacket perspective. You can watch a life jacket video in the app. If you don't, we know that. And we just quickly tell you what you need to know when you show up. 
And then the big process unlock was rather than do it at a 45 minute before we shut the ship down, we let you do it at any point before sailing. So if you board at 11, you've got six hours to go leisurely do it. So you can grab a cocktail, you can go to your muster station, and we explain to you with a crew member to your small travel party, this is where you go in case of an emergency. It turns out when I have that conversation with you versus when you're sitting in a group with 400 people, you're paying attention more, you're listening, and it's much more personalized, right? It also unlocks moments that you can't do at mass. So I was observing our test on the Symphony of the Seas back in January of 2020 when we first started. We This is something we invented prior to the pandemic. And I watched, the, we were doing a scenario with guests to show what it might be. And I watched this kid go up and kind of tug on his his mom's, you know, thing and said, I, I cannot, I don't know how to put a life jacket on, even though they watched a video together and explain what to do. And adult is in theory supposed to help kid. And the crew member heard that and said, that's great. Let's do it together. And like handed it to the handed one to the kid, they put it on together. It was this moment and that kid never put a life jacket on before. And was super nervous. And so this crew to kid moment with the parents sitting there, we never would have been able to do that in a mass scenario with 400 people around. The kid wouldn't have felt comfortable. The parent wouldn't have even thought about it. The crew member for sure wouldn't have thought about it. But having this one-to-one moment or one-to-three or four people moment, they were able to create a new experience that that kid had never done before. And it was, it was, it was a precious, like I saw that it was a super precious moment. I got a picture of it. We talked to the family afterwards and unpacked it with them. It was just one of these moments where we wouldn't have seen that without that sort of leapfrog. And that was a process innovation. Yeah, of course you can look at the, the life jacket video on your phone and we're tracking the data to understand, but it was really a process change that unlocked something special for us. Yeah. You know, I know I said that was going to be my last question, but I've got another one. I like that video that you guys made for, I think it's a series you're doing for your Icon on the Seas, where you, yeah. you're like kind of explaining, giving people more of a scope of like what, what happens for a cruise ship like this to get invented. It seems like such a great way to like spark imagination. And, and can you talk about like the role of media and shows and how you think about that? Yeah. So one of the things we've really tried to do differently with Icon, Icon comes out in fall of 2023. Because again, we have our own we have our own new build department. We have our own large product development group. The whole idea of that focus is to really deliver a kind of amazing experiences that that nobody else delivers. We all believe we track it. We have the most innovative brand. We have an innovation lab here. We have an innovation studio where we we unpack. You know, we do mock-ups of things that get built on ship to make sure they're the right fit for our guests. We wanted to share kind of that making of. And not just up to our soon-to-be reveal of that ship, but then ongoing, right? The making of, we're, you know, we're, we're launching 23-plus new restaurant and food and beverage concepts that we've never done before. New entertainment, new experiences that we've never developed. Those are really complicated things to bring to life, involve a lot of testing. We want to take people through that journey. Because there's maritime invention, there's culinary invention, there's entertainment invention, and people are going to see things they've never done, they've never seen from us before. And it's such a rich and rewarding way to use media to talk about what we do and how we innovate. And so that was that was the genesis behind kind of the making of experience and the, the passion that we have in the products that we build. Well, and anybody who wants to see that, I, I watch it on your YouTube channel, so I'm sure everyone else can just find yep. it there. And we're going to but, keep it's the beginning of the series. So there's, I'm going to get the number wrong, but there's at least a dozen plus coming. Oh, that's cool. 
You know, I think what was interesting for me is I think about cruise ships mostly in terms of what people tell me when they come back. Or, you know, maybe you see an Instagram photo or something. But I think that, like, a little more in-depth medium without having to actually be at the ship or actually be at your R&D facilities, I felt like it was a little more of an immersive thing. Like, I definitely have not thought about cruise ship innovation at that level. Now that I've met you, it's different. But, like, until watching that video... I don't know, it just, it never occurred to me at all. And it, it actually made it more desirable. They're like, well, what, you know, like, these people really like their job. Like, what are they, like, is this, I actually wanted to find out, like, is it really different or is this just like a hype thing? You know, <laughs> like, it was intriguing to me. So anyways, it's, it was a good medium. Yeah, it's super fun. And it, by the way, the things we do like that are a daily, ba- I mean, it's a daily basis. I, we had an entertainment workshop all day today to unpack the future of programming on board Icon of the Seas. This room is surrounded in stickies for venues and, and places on ships that we haven't unpacked. Like it's it's a it's a constant process for us that delivers, you know, we, we like to say it's the best vacation because it is the best hardware, best ships, the best crew, and the best service, as well as the best destinations equal the best vacation. That's so fun. Well, listen, thanks for your time today. I've got to rethink how we're going to future cast our businesses now. So thanks for all the info. It's awesome. Okay. Bye everyone.